Welcome along to Season 3, Episode 22 of LOI Weekly with Johnny Ward and Daniel McDonald ahead of the European Games this week, two of which are live on AirSport and we are in association with AirSport and Independent.ie. Special show today, looking ahead to Europe. We've Mark Roster in studio. He'll reflect on some of his European memories and what he's up to nowadays. Uh, we have Declan Carey later on. He's the Cork City Chairman, just to discuss, I guess, their financial situation and also to discuss uh, the big European game that's impending in Turner's Cross. And we have a Latvian journalist on today, Edmund Nof- Novikis, Dan, is it? Edmund I'm Novikis? Not sure. I'm not sure that either of us are t- top class in terms might of our a- We'll ask Edmund. Uh, we'll get him Edmunds. We'll ask him to clarify. Edmund Novikis. <coughs> he, knows, uh, he knows stuff about Riga FC. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's the context of it here. The biggest game of them all, obviously, Riga against Dundalk on Wednesday. And the return leg will be live in air sport as well. Hopefully Dundalk's still very much in with the shout uh, in a week's time. Uh, welcome along to Mark Roster. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I should also mention we do have a winner from the 100th episode review winner. Eric O'Brien, the boy O'Brien's review, won two tickets to uh, the Ireland-Switzerland game in the airbox and very uh, grateful for that at LOI Weekly on Twitter. So you can see yeah, all the... We've got some the nice reviews, it must be said. Yeah. Common themes that kept coming up was uh, Harry Kenny getting changed in the, in the house down the road blind, before though, the pod. <laughs> Several references to Johnny Dunleavy and, uh, you know... His love life. Johnny, and uh, that was the highlight of the show. That, well, I mean, I think you didn't even know Johnny Dunleavy before mm. the podcast started. And look at you now. Mm. You know, you're practically... We owned horses together and all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> inseparable. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there was a couple of references to your stake in the nightclub in Killarney again, which... Yeah, yeah. I never got told that story. Really good, uh, I, I don't know, Mark. Do you think this is... Re- I, don't, I don't really think this is that weird, but a lot of people do. We, we had a horse together. He won in Killarney. We went to this lovely restaurant. But either no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me tell the story, right? Well, we went you to you a go, you go to You go to a lovely... I'm sorry for people who regular listeners yeah. heard the story before, <laughs> right? So you go to... You have a lovely meal. You've had a, you've had a fantastic day. One of the best days of your life, almost. And uh, we go for a nice meal. But, of course, you go out with Johnny Ward for a meal. He spends most of his time out on the phone ringing other people ringing people of influence he comes back in starts dropping names whatever you have a couple you have a couple of drinks you go out to the nightclub yeah because he hadn't finished his dinner and eventually you have a couple of drinks you're into the nightclub and you're walking down the nightclub look where's johnny gone and you look around and he's he's at the cloakroom i'm thinking but johnny wasn't wearing a jacket all evening and he's taking a steak in a in like a one of these styrofoam containers and handing it over the counter and getting one of the raffle tickets back as well so my, my whole logic of it, but I also thought about in hindsight, like, why did they actually give you a ticket? Like, how many stakes did they get in on the evening? You're like number four, <laughs> number five. Like, does, someone bring, does, some, does, some, does someone bring home the wrong one and go, ah, I took a minute stake have home. You, uh, <laughs> I'll have to drop it back. Have you had in, fill uh, it tomorrow. Have you had in the butcher's grill in Randler? I saw you, I saw you put up a picture of it. there last night. Last night. I, I just thought it was just, unusual just, to bring a stake as a, as a nightclub cloakroom accessory it, it was an expensive enough steak I think and um, I, I, I wasn't nearly finished it so last night I was having but hang on but then also last night I was follow- having a steak the following in, day in Randla, the right? following hang day I get in the train and Johnny is still touching this steak he puts it above the overhead compartment yeah, and I had it that night and it was lovely like <laughs> two days later so, so last night in the butcher's grill I actually asked the waitress I was like what happens this food like when it's not eaten and it's just completely wasted I'm not a fan of wasting food especially good steak <laughs> so I thought like, well, am I going to just waste the steak or will I have a lovely meal the day after or just, or just I, bring, I it out, bring it out I don't, I don't find it that weird bring it out and then put it on a train compartment I just don't know if that's good for the 
the quality of how are you getting on for <laughs> 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 I don't know what to comment on that I don't <laughs> but I mean but you, uh, uh, if, he was, if he was bringing a home for a dog I would have said fair enough but uh, <laughs> there was a great great Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where they had a big debate about the doggy bag but anyway we can't get into that I was reading today in the paper Dublin Airport had their busiest June on record I think probably yeah um, you're that's your day job. Out yeah, you're out in the airport. I have a company up there. Uh, me and my business partner set it up about two years ago. I've been there for about seven years. Um, so I supply staff for whiskey and gin companies, promoters or brand ambassadors. So, so, yeah. so how did you get into it? Because I mean, you are you, you are the, the the classic guest almost that we have on this show. You went to, to England very young as a professional footballer. I'm guessing you left school. To go over to England? Or yeah, did you, I, left, did um, I left when I was just gone 16. Gone so 16. I, w- I would have been going into my leaving search years. So I would have been doing my leaving search just gone yeah. 17. Um, so how have you got into the business world? Because you, you, you came home. I mean, your story's been told before, I know. But you had injury, then you came back to the game and you played full time then. Yeah. So what happened in terms of getting into this? Um, I suppose when, when the collapse of Bohemians happened, um, training, even though training never changed, it just moved to the evening time. Um, I just more or less had nothing to do during the day so I was just twiddling my thumbs uh, my ex-girlfriend's mom um, was working in the airport said do you want to come in and do a couple of days or whatever and I just went yeah and it, it kind of went from there and I suppose the alcohol industry is one of the fastest growing in the world um, it interests me hugely I suppose whiskey more so than anything but uh, yeah how they're all different and, and everything like that so uh yeah, so I kind of just went into to that, and then October, October two years ago, we set up the company, um, and we've we've got some of the biggest accounts going now at the minute. So everything's going Great. well. So how did you adapt to just the you know, the different workplace, you know, the different workplace environment? It was, yeah, it was weird initially um, because you go from I suppose being full time at Bose and. You know, I'd be in there for nine o'clock um, down for training. We didn't start till half ten, but you could be finished at a quarter to twelve, you know, and you're there going and you've nothing to do for the rest of the day. So you go to a shopping centre and probably drink coffee and read the newspaper or something like that, you know. Um, so it was weird to actually start the day at eight in the morning. You're going eight to four and then ultimately go to training after that. Yeah. It was... Uh, a lot more taxing on the body, is, is I suppose. It, is it a different social skills, though, as well? Like, you know, you, you suddenly you're into that environment. I think you said outside that you just have to chat shy to people, basically. <laughs> you and then you do. seem to think that would be fine. Yeah, it's, uh, it is one of them. It's a very social atmosphere, and you're going to deal with people that you'll never see again. So, um, yeah, it can be as good or as bad as you want to make it, literally. Mm. Um, but I find it very enjoyable. You know, people interest me a lot. Um I suppose different cultures and stuff like that. So it's it's uh, I find it very good. Mm. Uh, some other people struggle with it a little bit, but yeah. I'm not a millennial, so I don't need to send WhatsApps to people, <laughs> really. You know, so uh, I I that. I know I like talking to people, so it's it's uh, good from that point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Irish whiskey as well. It just seems to be absolutely booming. It's like, is it? Is it the, the the growth of it, I suppose, well before you got involved. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I suppose the fastest growing spirit in the world. Mm. Um, look it up until I suppose prohibition and stuff like this. It was the best selling whiskey in the world. So you know Dublin now has four operational distilleries uh, in the city centre of Dublin. They have I think twenty five distilleries around the country total. But at one stage there was anywhere up to fifteen hundred to two thousand licensed and unlicensed distilleries before World War One. Uh, wow. prohibition all that there's like 
uh, Dublin is laced with history on on the likes of them. So um, I suppose when Teeling opened in 2015, um, it was the first operational distillery since Powers closed in the 70s. So wow. um, yeah, it's it's big business. So if you have a couple of hundred million, it's probably a good business to get into. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like a time. I mean, you, you sound like you're passionate in it. So it's obviously, but it must be time consuming as well. I can have be. your own business. All of a sudden, it's a, it's on you. It's on your shoulders. That is, you know? yeah. No, but I enjoy it. I really do. Um, I suppose, like everybody, I suppose, if you're a company owner, it's finding the right staff that'll do the brand's justice and stuff like that. So um, you're in, I suppose, you're in the era now where it's like people will ask you questions and they'll literally Google it in front of you to see if you're, I suppose, talking tripe. Um, mm. So it's, uh, you know, you need to be on point with all the info you give and look at everybody, I suppose, is into the the, the whole gin fad at the minute. And fad. Hugely. Um you know, they want the, these gins in a big bubble glass laced with tonic and mm. a different type of fruit. And yeah, it's... it's the, boom, the boom is back, you know. Juniper berries and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, would you advise players to make sure they do all this stuff if they're professional? Because I don't know if... I'm kind of thinking, how many hours... Like, I, I, when you're talking about sitting in a cafe reading the paper, that's kind of my life for a lot of the <laughs> week. But then it gets busier maybe. But, like, to do that every day when you have hours and hours filled, yeah. you can see why footballers almost become a little bit stupid because they've just nothing to be doing yeah. apart from being around the same people. And social media. You know, it's... Uh, I'd, I'd... Like, when I, when I played in England at the time, I can remember one of the lads I played with, his brother played semi-professional, or he was a professional cricket player. Um, his half brother and uh, it play for eight months of the year but the cricket board would have jobs sorted for them for the four months that they weren't earning and I think that'd be huge because how many players come the end of the season literally just go on the scratcher for mm. till pre-season starts um, I'd be a huge fan of in, in any way like the, the biggest directive I'd have if the FAI do jump on board and make the league as good as it can is to try and get something to integrate them into society for when they finish colleges as well are absolutely uh, yeah. I, whether they want to re-educate themselves or whether they're looking for jobs in spe- specific fields um, you know like I suppose if you look at the lads like say Robbie Benson who went to yeah. UCD so they've got degrees and masters and all this kind of thing so so the two lads moving from Sligo to UCD as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But look, yeah, but we've had guests on before. I, mean, I think it was Paul Corey. I'm trying to think Shane Supple, uh, and we've spoken about the, like transition and actually like footballers. As much as they may, in some cases, might have left school early and they mightn't have the educational background. A lot of people still look at them as good employees because there's a good work ethic. There's a discipline. You're like you're, you're not. You can't really be ten minutes late for uh, football training. Like you can be almost like people maybe in a more regular job will be ah. Yeah. Oh, Running a bit late in traffic. Yeah. If that happens in a football environment. You get a reputation almost as a as a bad egg straight away. So there's a certain discipline that that can transition to other sort of workplaces. Hugely. Um, I think it's up to the players to realise as well. I suppose you know, not thinking to themselves that if you're, you know, seventeen or eighteen and you play in the league, are you going to play professional? You know, you may if you're lucky play till you're in your early 30s or whatever like this but you know the I suppose the long and short of it is maybe 5% of these players in the League of Ireland will get the chance to go across the water um, if even yeah yeah so they need to have something when they finish because you know it's it's it can be tough and it's not nice to hear that fellas have gambling addictions and stuff like this and you can see how it happens though, absolutely right? um, absolutely I've I've never 
look, I don't know anything about horses, um, so I've no interest in that side of it. You know, um, if I was going to bet on anything, it'd be football. Mm. But, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to put a bet on anywhere, but I can see fellas that literally they finish training and they'll go to the bookies. And this is, Jesus, 10 years ago when I was, you know, playing and when I was full-time then, and there's lads that have been in the bookies all day long. And um, it's dangerous now because you can do it on your phone. And if, oh. if you're in the bookies, people will have some comprehension of what you're up to, whereas in your phone you can just... Absolutely. Um, you're a good example as well of what can go wrong in football because of the injury you sustained so early. And I was I was shocked. I remember you showed me the scar there last <laughs> year. I don't, know, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, what was the nature of it? Uh, it was a tumour in my knee. So, like, I've torn my ACL twice in the other knee, but that's not the one that gives me bother. It's the tumour. Um, I had to more or less get a bone graft from my hip to reconstruct my knee when I was 19. Um, and then I had a reoccurrence of it. About a year later, so I had to more or less had to snap me medial to do it the second time, and then I had another reoccurrence two years later after that. So, um, 2003, 2004, 2006. So, you know, the the surgeon at the time said, Look, it's the closest thing you'll get to a career and an injury at the time. But, how about like in repercussions other than that? Was this it was a dangerous sort of down the line? Uh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was. Look at it, it was a malignant growth, but it wasn't life threatening. So mm. they, they you know, got rid of it and that was fine. If it was life threatening it would have been I think the the percentage was it would there was a three in ten chance I would have lived past five years. Um and they would have cut my leg off there and then. So um people will say I was unlucky and I think I'm the you're most lucky. fortunate man. Yeah, that's own. the thing. And uh, it, so getting to the lads who say you're unlucky, how far could you have gotten, do you think, in the game if you hadn't had that setback? Because <laughs> I know it's an impossible question to answer, but mm. you didn't exactly have a bad career with it. No. Um I can remember I played Mick McCarthy had just come in as manager after Howard Wilkinson and um I played one game, we were playing against Man United in the Resis and I was marking Quinton Fortune and he got taken off a half time because he didn't get a touch but um, I can remember Mick after the game was just, we were just sitting in the dressing room there and he said you're the closest thing I've seen to Stephen Carr so I was like this going class I'm delighted with life anyway so I came mm. in the next day and Kevin Kilban comes in he goes what are you smiling at and I just went I had a decent game last night and uh, he goes he says uh, and I said Mick was buzzing with me and he goes what did he say and I said uh, I told him more or less what Mick had said and he just went nah and my heart sank. <laughs> and he goes, he says, you're a far better player, a far better footballer than Stephen Carr. And ah, I just went. Yeah. But literally. Last like, week's guest, Kevin Kilman. We had Kev sitting here last week. Yeah. Kev's class. Yeah. Ah, what a man. What yeah. a man. No, but like, and you know, that was it. And that was in, that was in March. And then I got called up to the Irish under 21s because Thomas Butler pulled out with injury. And I tore my cruise ship. With this Albania. This yeah. Albania. Yeah. So is this, is this, is that the first major injury that, that, the, the origins to the, the tumour. Tearing me cruciate actually saved me being able to play. Because in January that year, I had played in the FA Cup and got stretched off. Mm. And that was the trigger, the tumour. That was that, okay. But it, yeah. it was misdiagnosed as a cyst. It grew four times the size in six months. So my knee started to distort. So I went, I was going back for a checkup on my cruciate anyways. And I said it to him. And he stuck a syringe in to try and get fluid. And there was nothing there. So I went back and went to a specialist and... Yeah, I was diagnosed then and it was what, on a Friday, I was in on Monday, I was diagnosed on the Wednesday and I had the surgery then and was in hospital for two weeks and yeah, that was it, so. Yeah, what, what was Mick like? I've heard great stories about Mick's, how he's dealt with Richard Sadler, spoken about his own experience and yeah. a couple of others, how was he to deal with through that? Do you know what it is, like Mick, Mick to me is one of the best, um, he really is, like I had left, um, I'd left Sunderland in 2004 
Um, after I suppose I was rehabbing for about five or six, seven months after I had the second tumor done, and I moved back to Sligo then in the April, April or May the following year in two thousand and five. So I had a reoccurrence of the tumor in two thousand and six, and I got this phone call at home. It was like eleven in the morning. I was in bed, so I went out and answered it, and it was Mick McCarthy ringing the house phone in Sligo, and he just goes, uh, "I've heard that you've just been diagnosed with another tumor." He said, "Literally, the club is open to you in any capacity you need." You know, mm. and I was like, you know, to me, he's he's one of the best I've met. He's a gent. Absolute mm. gen. He didn't so need to do that. He didn't need to do it. Um, absolutely not. And, and any time he came over to, like we played against Wolves, he was manager of Wolves, and we played them with balls in a friendly. Matt Darty game, was it? When Matt Darty got the move off the back? It was, it, was the, it? it was the following game. All right, yeah, because he, he played in that game and Mick was impressed with him. And then he came back, we played Villa a couple of days later. Oh, okay. And he marked Ashley Young out of the game. So he brought him over then. And nah, no, nah, Mick is Mick's one of the classiest men I've met. Mm. Yeah, nice. you you still had a fairly decent career for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I suppose when when I went back after I had the tumor done that time, my brother was playing with Finn Harp. So I said to him, "Can can I go up training with him?" You know, and Felix Healy That's Ian, is it? Yeah, remember ex Goal United? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> he, was, he, was, uh, <laughs> he was he was he was he was he was a very young lad at Goal United. I think sixteen, 17, maybe he 17, might, yeah. 16, 17. Don O'Reardon had a big policy of bringing in young guys. Yeah, I, I can remember. I was chatting to uh, John Gill a couple of weeks ago. They played against Sligo, so I was up at the game, and he goes, "He says your brother's still playing," and I just went, "No," and he goes, "He says, he goes, I got a fifteen match ban because of him." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so it was one of them that uh, uh, Ian, he said he, he more or less assassinated the winger in front of the bench and there was a big ruction and John Gill went out and headbutted him. <laughs> he must have had the jump, did he? Uh, he must have. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, this God, I've never heard this before. Like, uh, So I didn't know, so I had to chat to my brother about it and Ian goes, he said, I won the ball. You know, so <laughs> Maybe like my age, 36. Ian is, no, no, I'm your age. Uh, Ian's 38. So okay. Yeah, yeah. So no, is he, what's he up to nowadays? Plays a bit of Gaelic. Right. Just local, yeah. No, he uh, he had a bad injury a couple of, couple of years ago. He ruptured his patella tendon in a, I suppose, in little five-a-side. Mm. So his knee's not, you know, great, but kind of runs in the family. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, do, do you miss it? I mean, I know it's a very obvious question, but do you, do you miss that involvement? Now, I know you've been doing, you were doing a bit of co-commentary last week yeah. at the Shamrock Rovers, Sligo Rovers game, and you're still speaking to people, you're saying so. Yeah. But do you miss that involvement? No, no. Um, when I was at long for that time, I was starting. Me, but I was thirty three, and my body was starting to break down a bit. Where you know you're getting a lot more aches and pains and stuff, and like my knees have been through the mill a bit. So uh, I was probably finished with football in my head before I uh, before I decided to knock it on the head. And I left mid season that I left in the July, um, and I was done with it. And I and I still am, to be honest. Mm. I, you know, it's like I could go for a game of football with the lads, and like I'm in pain for two or three weeks. You know, so I just go. I've I've done a lot better than I should have, considering. So I'm I'm happy with that, and I'm yeah. happy to let it go. I'm happy to go and watch games, do commentary, if if want if if people want me to do it. But um, now I've I've I suppose somebody said to me when you're finished with it in your head and you're done with it, you're happy. When I left England and came back, I wasn't. Mm. You know, um, I couldn't leave that my last competitive game was my under-21 debut. So I went back playing and, you know, I've I've done all right, I suppose, Mm. over the years. How did it hinder you, like, in terms of what you could produce? No, at the time, like, uh, you know, when I was, like, in 2008 with Bowles, I was probably the fittest I ever was. 
Um, so it didn't hinder me at all. But over years, then I suppose your knee deteriorates a little bit more and more. And was it, it left or right tumor? Uh, right knee. Because mm. you did an amazing strike of the ball for a defender. Yeah. Like from um, lack yeah. of backlift and all that. Nah, yeah. Look, I could strike a ball, yeah. But in fairness, I could knock the chips out of a child's hand in the stand as well. So um, <laughs> it's not necessarily that they were always on target. Yeah. Um, but no, it was, it was one of the things I had from a kid. I could strike a ball and mm. yeah, thankfully that carried through a wee bit. So. I suppose we have a European um, heavy show today. Your experience of Europe, like... It must be a special, special time for a special League of Ireland player. Absolutely. Um, for them top teams, it's the best best games that they're going to play all year. Better no, than no, a cup final? Well, no, it's <sighs> cup finals are great, but you've already played them four times maybe mm. that particular year. Um, so you know what they are. It's very much an unknown quantity of what you're going to be playing against. You know, like say Red Bull when we played them years ago, you're looking at that they've got money to troll players and, and mm. stuff like that. Um, with Dundalk, we went to Luxembourg and you don't know what to expect. And I can just remember because in fairness, the Dundalk team was well drilled. They're still as fit as the were then. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can remember we beat them 2-0. Richie scored two, Richie Towell. And um, the report was after the game, their manager would, had said that we were expecting them to be competitive because I suppose that's what they say about all Irish teams, to be competitive. But he said we didn't expect weightlifters with technical ability. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, the way Stephen plays where it's all methodical, he's there three in the middle and he's, you know, trying to utilise the wingers, um, be expa- as expansive as you can when you have the ball um, and just play, I suppose, in this day and age the right way. Um, mm. But trying to do that, you know, I think it'll carry Dundalk as well, you know, on, on when they're playing Riga. Yeah. Thursday, yeah. 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 Thursday yeah. Rather, yeah. Do, do you want to call out Brian Murphy now then? If we talk, if we talk European memories and <laughs> Red Bull, I just know if we talk about European memories, which is someone will send us a message and go, oh, make a reference to, to Red Bull. But he, he didn't call, right? Is that, mm. is that, is that, is this is No, he, he didn't call. And I can remember this when... This Daily Mountain. What year are we? Oh, 2009, I think. I'm just thinking... If, Ten if, years ago. If Drawda won the league in 07, Bowes won it in 08, so this would have been your first Champions League. It was Joey 09. and Doe played... Amazingly, in the away game from what yeah, I he scored. We, yeah, we drew one yeah, all over there. That, was yeah. this the first or second round then, or? Well, it was the it was the first tie that Bowes had played. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the away score? One all. One all, and then it comes back and it's nil all, is it? Nil all. Yeah. yeah. And then ten minutes left or thereabouts. No, it was two minutes left. Two, two minutes, minutes left. left. Yeah. What yeah. happened then? It was like there was a ball played. Your man hit a diag and he was trying to hit the. Marco Mark Yanko. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, he was big the lad. Yeah, yeah. Probably so, st- he's still probably still playing up front for someone somewhere yeah, now. You know, Vancouver. <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. But um, Ken O'Man was there and challenged them. And I suppose, you know, at that time they'd had the lion's share of possession for the whole game. I probably should have tucked in more. I expected them to challenge, and it went over their heads. So I was probably in a bad starting position. But I looked to me left to to see was Murph there. And in my eye, I seen a striker kind of just edge towards the keeper. So I tried to just flick it in the air to volley it away. But your man read it and jumped like a salmon and headed mm. it over Murph. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's one of them things. I didn't obviously plan on doing that. But, uh, yeah, sometimes it just happens. It just lives you with it for a while afterwards. It's, yeah, it's it does, natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, I spoke to Dave Henderson at length about it a lot. And he just goes, it's keeper's fault, is mm. what he said. He goes, if he's coming off his line and he doesn't call... You know, so look at it. I'll, I'll just put it down to a mix up. Um, yeah, he's he, he's definitely one of the best keepers I've seen in the League of Ireland. But probably the best. Yeah, but his career in England. I, I often talk to people about this that 
he's kind of had a great career probably in terms of the money he's made, mm-hmm. but he's hardly played. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you could see both sides of the argument, but I, I just can't see if I were a footballer that I'd, I'd be happy to be on the bench every week, almost regardless of what you're on, within reason. Obviously. I know, yeah. Um, but I, I can remember when he went to Ipswich. Richard Wright, um, Richard Wright was number one there. Murph was number two, and Richard Wright left to be third choice keeper at Man City yeah. because he was, I think he was on fifteen grand a week at Ipswich, and the brought him up to twenty five or thirty five to be third choice or fourth choice mm. keeper. Like so. You know, I think it's the, you know, I suppose it's not exactly taxing on your body if you're just sitting there and training all the time. So um, financially, you can get a lot more out of yeah. being a being a third choice goalkeeper. So you see Renegal Martin, who was a Pats mm. a couple of years ago. He's he's still moving around. I think he went to Bristol City or someone during the week. You know, it's it's a, it's a choice that some goalkeepers make. And I just want to play. I think I, will, I, uh, no, so I can appreciate that. Mm. And I, I do remember Brian Murphy saying he he didn't he wanted to go back to play. But I guess you put yourself in their shoes, and you know mm. you, you get you don't know the family you situation. Get, you get it. Oh, well, I don't know about yeah. that. But like, you know, you get a decent contract put in front of you, and you know if you're injured, clubs will drop you. You know, to a degree as well. So if someone's willing to offer you a three-year deal, you know, you wouldn't. I wouldn't worry too much about the morals of that. Yeah. You know, like no, in, it's, in it's that, not. In that it's, not it's not so much. No, I know what you're yeah. saying. I know exactly what your point is. Yeah. You know, um, I see what it's not quite Winston Bogart now, where it was just like completely taking the pace. No. Of chance. Yeah, but, but it's, it's like but yeah, but it's like that. It's such a short career, basically. Yeah, is what I'm like saying. When at Sunderland, Thomas Sorensen was the number one goalkeeper. Andy Marriott was there for Jesus three years I think it was and he played maybe in a league cup or something mm. like that and you know that was it but win bonuses alone he's still getting if he's on the bench he's getting uh, he's getting his bonus for being on the bench because as a sub keeper if you're a sub keeper you get the same bonus as if you played so like he made over 100 grand in win bonuses that particular year because <laughs> they finished seventh yeah. you know so it's yeah. it's huge money for doing yeah. nothing the, really yeah. the, 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 the other memory of that Red Bull thing was the arrogance of their manager at the time who, <laughs> who basically Hoop Stevens yeah he um, didn't fancy at all really he's Dutch isn't he Dutch yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it follows suit their their uh, yeah, he, he he ticked the national star. I I remember him the day before the game. I can't remember something about his comments. Mark remembers something about after match where he said he wouldn't take one of the players. Yeah, or not something. one of not one of our players impressed them at all. They wouldn't. None of our players yeah. would get into his squad. Um, yeah, I suppose. Joe, Joey and Doe played in two World Cups I suppose yeah <laughs> when, you, when yeah. you think about that because that, that was obviously just before the crash as such you know mm. that that time and um, like that Bose team had a, had a that near miss against Salzburg draw to the year previous so that, close that near miss against Kiev mm-hmm. and like there are there are these sliding doors moments but like the league had got to a really good standard then in terms of the top teams and I think it still hasn't it's it's I think it's finally recovered you know but it's mm. it, that that was a, they were very competitive teams you were part of then absolutely you know? there was new professionalism coming in with like obviously Paul Doolan at draw as well and yeah. you know the just something when you I was even looking back in the Shells Deportivo game today because uh, Ali Cahill had spoken about that in the draw of the game. But Jesus, there were some unbelievable performances yeah. in those days. Hugely, because you know we're going to obviously raise our games because there's nothing expected of us. And mm. you know I'm not saying that they'll take us for granted, but they ultimately do because they're not going to see an Irish team as you know something that's going to challenge them really. Mm. And you know look at and that's fair enough. But ultimately, I think at grassroots level in the League of Ireland you need to have 12 competitive teams you can't have a divide like you do you know Dundalk are only going to improve if they're playing 
hard games yeah, every I week agree more. going yeah. into Europe. Um, so them kind of games can stifle them a wee bit. Um, I'm not saying that they'll be a little bit relaxed and, and stuff like that going into, say, playing UCD or something like this, but you know you can't compare playing against Shamrock Rovers every week to playing against UCD because 99 times out of 100, they're going to lick UCD. Yeah. Really. yeah, well, speaking of the dock, I think let's, let's actually go over to Lafayette now and get a bit of perspective because we have just the unusual situation, not unusual, but it's... it's in the first Champions League round, Dundalk are seeded this year. So this is something that we've been aspiring towards with our champions over a long period. And rather than having that Red Bull or that, um, you know, that Bade Borisov or that Legia Warsaw at the first round, they play Riga FC from Latvia. So no, I still get to suspect La- the Riga team won't be too unhappy to get to Well, the this, is, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But let's, let's go and hear from Edmunds Novikis, uh, hopefully we have his name right, uh, who's a football journalist in Latvia to give us the lowdown on Riga. Edmund, how are you? I'm well, how are you? We have what? to get the pronunciation of the yeah, name we, right we, here. We've we, we got to pronounce your name properly. Can you help us out here? Edmunds. And the surname? Novitskis. Novitskis. Very good. Yes, yeah, okay. The, um, let's, let's, what's the weather like in Latvia at the moment? The dog will be over there next week. Oh, uh, actually, now summer is going down and it's not so warm like it was last last month, so maybe 15 degrees for Chelsea. That's all right. Yeah. Um, what's the expectation over there? In, in your journalist over there, what's the general expectation in the press? I, I would imagine that Riga were quite happy to get Dundalk. Yeah, of course. If we look at the other possibilities, other options, then Dundalk was one of the best choices, one of the best options for us. Um, but at the, at the same time, of course, also we un- understand that Dundalk has a bigger experience in Euro Cups and really good rec- record of the games. And Riga FC participates in Euro Cups just the second year in, in their history. It's a new club, so we understand who is the favorite here. Mm. So what what is what would be the strength of Riga FC? I mean, I'm I'm thinking years ago, Skonto Riga would have been a sort of a regular opponent for for Irish sides in Europe, and they were a strong team. And this Riga FC is an amalgamation, as you mentioned, it's a new club. I think was it CSKA Sofia they played last year, and they went very close. So I mean, is this a club that has significant financial backing? You know, is is there has there been heavy investment in this team? I see. You know, is what type of operation are we talking about here? Hmm. Uh, Riga FC is like a big spender in Latvian league. They have owner from Russia, really uh, rich person who invests really big money. Uh, maybe they lack uh, some of, I don't know, stability, sporting, uh, footballing uh, people in the club. And sometimes they are a little bit chaotic with their deci- decisions. But all in all, they are Latvian champions. They are the best club in Latvia. And if you talk about the style of the team, uh, about the sporting side, then uh, I think that Riga FC has a really good uh, style for the first game tomorrow in, in Dundalk. They are a very tough team, which plays very good defensively. You could imagine that a champion is playing attacking football, score many goals, like Barcelona or City, but they are not that type of team, actually. They rarely dominate in ball possession. They're a really tough team and disciplined team. So I think it's, it will be really, really tough uh, task for your team to make those goals which you need to, to come here uh, with a good feelings. So our team is really good, good uh, in the defensive terms. Okay, so who would the strongest players, like who would be the, the outstanding players to look out for in the, the Riga FC side? 
you know, it, it will sound pathetic, but really the strong side is the team because uh, if, if you would ask about their main competitors, another club from Riga, I would say you in the first second who is the leader. But in the case of Riga FC, there are no one bright person who makes the result or something like that. Uh, last year, when Riga became the, champ- the champions, uh, their best player was uh, goalkeeper. He was uh, he got the best player award in a, in a galas. So this year is the same: discipline, good defense, good teamwork, and uh, of course there are some bright, bright, bright footballers. Maybe I could mention uh, Tomislav Šaric, but actually he's holding midfielder. He makes big job. He he makes uh, runs from one one side to another, box to box, and also you will not see him often to to score the goal or to make the decisive pass. So it's more about team, not about uh, strong personalities. And if we talk about weak sides, uh, I can say that it's attacking options, attacking uh, moves, because Riga has some difficulties with scoring goals. What's the story with the coaching situation? Because you seem to have had like five or six coaches in no time at all. And um, could you explain why there's been such a change in that regard? Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, sometimes Riga FC is a little bit chaotic. Mm. They... They are making, I, I, w- I would like to be diplomatic about our football, but really, they, sometimes it looks like Russian business. They take one player, then they take another player, they take one coach, then take another coach, and they're just uh, searching the, the options, the best options. They are not uh, waiting for long, they are not patient, and so these changes are really often. For example, this year, one coach came uh, during the season, and he's really a good coach. He made the title of, in Latvia with another club before. He's experienced coach, but he was fired after four games. Uh, two of them were, was uh, win and two was lost. So the club, club owner and club management is really impatient and they are making very chaotic moves sometimes. But what, what, what can we say bad about them? They are champions and they are making like, like they want. Also, um, when Dundalk head over to Riga for the second leg, what sort of crowd will be there? Oh, it's a big issue in Latvia. It's really poor situation about the crowd in Latvia. Maybe in Euro Cups uh, there will be a little bit more spectators than usually. Maybe this will be like two or three thousand uh, spectators. But actually, when Latvian league uh, games are are played there are sometimes just three or four hundred of people so mm. football is, is not the most popular sport sport in latvia any good advice on bars for the dundalk fans to go to uh, the places to go yeah uh, it's the, of course it's the old city like always uh, every every two tourists from 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 the uk just go to the old, the old city what about tourists from ireland <laughs> It's the same. It's the same story. It's the same story. Um, if you put your head on the block, how do you think it'll go? Sorry? If you put your uh, prediction to the game, do you expect that it's going to be close? Obviously, you, you certainly seem to have a, a good kind of opinion of the defensive structure of the Riga team. Yeah, so I, I think the decisive, decisive moment will, will be if Dundalk can score like a quick goal, goal in the first half. Maybe if they do this, they will score the second and the third goal. But actually, I think that it could be really close game and maybe just one goal in a match. And it's not obligatory that Dundalk scores this this one goal. 
I think that it will be really tough and maybe tougher than you think because I, I know about your record in Europe, but actually, I, as I said, Riga plays very defensively football, very organized football, and it's really hard to, to break them. Okay, Edmonds, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate your input. And uh, yeah, I, I'm over there next week, so I might see you over at the second leg. So thanks very much for joining us on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck, guys. Thanks, Thank Ed. you. You can see as well, Mark, why considering the the draws that they could have gotten, they won't be unhappy to get Dundalk and they will fancy their chances. In fact, I think they were at the... What game? What the Dundalk game were they at recently? The Dundalk Rovers and the Dundalk actually weren't great on the night, but it probably added to their enthusiasm for the challenge ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first game after the break, I wouldn't take too much out of it and Rovers had to not lose and mm. they did, but um, I'd, be, I'd be quite confident that Dundalk will get through. Regardless yeah. of them, um, I think, you know, Michael Duffy, Chris Shields is unreal. Um, he's, you, you've, he's got a, a, you've got a great perspective on that because you were at the start of the Dundalk journey, yeah. the start of the Stephen Kenny era. You were one of the players that were brought in. Him, so Mountney and Hooban, I suppose, would have been there. Well, no, no, Shields Steve and Mountney were, were the survivors in the previous year. Yeah, yeah of course. Sorry, yeah, Hooban and... Well, Shields came in late that year, actually, because he was over at Carlisle. Um, yeah. There was talk of him signing for them, and, but like Stevie O'Donnell was probably the the biggest one. Andy Richie, Boyle would have come in, I suppose. Richie Towle, um, John Sullivan was there, Keith Ward. Um, yeah, there was there was a good few. Um, but the, yeah, the Dundalk no, story kind of started around that, like their European story. I traced the Dundalk team back to that Hadrick Split era where they started performing but very no, well but, in but Europe. It's, but twenty thirteen was where the, the whole season started. Yeah. I mean, did you? I mean, look, that was a move for you. We've spoken to Stevie before about his. You know, where was where was his career going? What were you thinking walking into the dock that um, day? I didn't know, to be honest. I'd, I'd been away at the Irish under-16s and Stephen Kenny had just taken over at Longford and Brian Kerr brought him away. So I, I knew he was this uh, unusual character. Um, and I can remember Stevie O'Donnell there, probably in the first huddle that we played against Shamrock Rovers, he was there saying, look, we're all here for one reason or another. He said, we're a bunch of degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the nil all in Oriel, the yeah, first game? Yeah, the first game, Gary McCabe missed the penalty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was it. And, you know, we managed to push Pats. So what was, his, what was his follow-up from the bunch of degenerates? <laughs> he's, uh, he's very straight talking. He's, uh, he's a good fella to light a fire under and let him go off on a tangent. He's, uh, ah, he's class. Big, big week for him, though, because he's obviously done an awful lot of homework on Riga. This yeah. is his first uh, year in the job, which Rory Higgins had. Um, he's been out to see them twice. So it, the, there is a little bit of pressure on him, obviously, to get it right. I uh, No, I'd have no worries about Stevie or Rory Higgins. I've known, known the two of them. Jeez, I've known Stevie since he was 12 years of age when Ian used to play with his brother and at Galway United. Alan, so, yeah. um, I can remember going to see him in the Kennedy Cup under 13. So I've, I've known Stevie for the best part of 20 years. Um, his attention to detail football-wise as a player or outside of football it's just like he's football mad sorry we, we were actually going Chris Shields though at, at that stage if the first time you saw Chris Shields in the training pitch did, did you see him coming becoming the player that he's become you no. know multiple league winner and no. sort of player of the year contender and so on no I, I can remember playing against Shieldsy when I was playing say left back for Bulls and you're there waiting for Dara Doyle to hit a, a diag at the start of a game and Shieldsy's just running at me and I'm like this gone he's, he's just going to headbutt me <laughs> um, he probably still would but um, <laughs> you take not, the ball afterwards no like, yeah. he's, he, he's unreal like you, you, he does so much work that goes unnoticed Um you know he's and thankfully he's getting the plaudits that he deserves. He's been, you know, one of the best in that position that I've seen 
not always the prettiest, but he does what has to be done all the time. Mm. Um, he's he's an excellent, excellent player. When you when you left the club, I mean, because you, again you didn't play that much in twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. but did you know then? Yeah, this club is is going in the right way. Uh, or, absolutely. Or even, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you can even see with you know Patrick McElhenney going in there, he'll be huge for them in Europe because technically he's the best in the league. Um, and his Jack season Byrne, has kind of just taken off as well. Now, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like you look at Dundalk, you know, they they didn't come out of the blocks hugely fast, but they they're designed to not be that way. They hit their stride coming towards the the window, uh, or coming towards the break, and then you know, I, I from the start, even when Rovers won their first five games of the season, I was there saying Dundalk will win it by ten or more. Really? Yeah, I still well, believe they will. What gave you that confidence? Just that that ability to peak as Absolutely. the season goes on? Absolutely. They get very, very few injuries because they condition their bodies that well. So, like even when Stephen Kenny was manager there, that particular year I didn't play, the back four never got injured the mm-hmm. whole year. He didn't change it the whole year. Uh, that's been a slight change since he left. They, they do yeah, rotate more. Yeah, they are. And it's it's going to, I suppose, upset the apple cart with Boiler signing back, you know. Um, Brian Gartland signed a new deal today as he well. He did. He did. Uh, the, like, been a great servant. Andy, to me, is, you know, coming back from England uh, or Scotland, he's he's the best defender in the league mm. um, Gannon is flying and Massey isn't having it in his own way this year Jarvis is doing really well so you know you need competition for places but I suppose um, John Gill Vinny Rory their job is to try and keep everybody happy so mm. it's it's not an easy thing to do Are you impressed by how Vinny has like, transitioned to being the front man um, no, I'm not surprised at all mm. to be honest um, I've known Vinny for like since I joined Dundalk and I knew he would have seamlessly went into the role anyways um, so now I'm not surprised with anything he's more or less just kept everything in place he has his own philosophies yes but he's kept the style the same way um, and I, I said it to, like when I'd, I'd done the commentary for the Sligo Dundalk game I said signing the season for them is Rory Higgins really mm. because uh He's such a meticulous thinker. Like I spoke to him after the game and did one four nil, and he was fuming, you know, because yeah. on the on that particular night it didn't uh, show the problems that Sligo caused them, but probably Dundalk caused themselves really. Um, but I said it's always easier to be critical in the, in victory than in defeat, you know. So um, no, they're they're they're, nah, they're going to steamroll the rest of the league. It's more important. Like I just whatever about the league. This is so big for them. And how do you think it'll go, Dan? It's it's very hard to. It's hard to know. Speculate. We, 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 we look and we've heard from Edmonds there just about Regan, but no one really knows. Like you, like you have an idea of levels, and um, you would hope that the dog being seeded that they should be in a position to be stronger. Like you generally look at the results at this round, and being seeded is a bloody big advantage mm. and you, you can hope that they can make the best of it I think they're still finding their stride I don't think they've been hundred. I don't think they've been near their best they in haven't. recent weeks but I, I think last Friday you know they, they mixed things up they started Boyle they started Benson they rested Huben or you know they went for Georgie Kelly but I think there's a sense of trying to get lads minutes as well and, and, and just try and sharpen up and I don't know it's going to be a full house tomorrow night Um you know, you look at Riga, they don't actually have a play in front of huge crowds and stuff. I just hope that like that they make the best of the home leg because I think Dundalk will score away. You'd always fancy yeah. that Dundalk team to score away. There so I, a... I think the key to the tie is like just 
Nil all or one nil. Not a silly too. concession at home that leaves you in a bit of bother. There's no. Because I think um, they'll be. I think if they keep them scoreless tomorrow, mm. I think I've no doubt that they will go through. There's definitely no complacency from the Dundalk camp, and that's just so. Like I, I've always made the point: Irish teams can't take any team for granted in Europe. We're just not good. They enough. won't. They and won't. They definitely won't. They won't. Um, even though they're seeded. Uh, There's so, other European games this week yeah. that we need to discuss. Best of luck to Dundalk, and obviously the return leg uh, will be live on Air Sports uh, Cor- next Wednesday as well. Not yeah. next Wednesday. Cork City. Uh, was that? the game on Friday night with uh, Air Sports kudos to the boy Owen who uh, did his first uh, job in producing the show did a Owen's great, in the room at the time great job. Be, at, the, yeah. at the moment so game itself wasn't I don't <laughs> Johnny know. is just shouting out to someone who's two minutes away the boy Owen did you watch the game Dan I, I caught some of the post-match commentary I actually enjoyed the, the, like the new Johnny Ward it's like TV Johnny Ward mm. he's a bit kinder than podcast Johnny Ward he, he extolled the virtues of everything I met John very Caulfield positive, actually very at, positive uh, performance met John Caulfield beforehand wasn't uh, wasn't a particular it was a little bit awkward put frosty he was polite Civil, civil, civil. Yeah, because I like it. I like you know after the match with John Carter, you know praising the the commitment or the spirit. They're yeah. going to come on here four days later and probably slaughter them. You know, say what are they though? The third or fourth last. <laughs> like, as in, I thought they showed, and I thought the crowd were really behind them. I think post match John made to bring some Bowles, podcast John. I thought, yeah. thought Bowes were very very uh, ordinary on the night. Um, Mandrew and Ward trying to fit into the same team. Struggling up front, like Cork are where they are because you didn't tell that to Keith long afterwards, though, did you? You probably uh, said, Good point, Keith. I said, You've had two nil all draws in the week, and um, you obviously need a striker, basically, was what oh, I okay. said. Um, Cork tried hard. I wouldn't, we'll talk to Declan Kerry. We need now. to discuss the situation at Cork mm. generally, and we're going to go and talk to Declan Kerry, who's the chairman, because there's been a lot of discussion over the last couple of weeks. Months, I suppose, but particularly weeks, I think. A bogey WhatsApp message, as you said. Well, well. yeah, there's a few other, few other mistruths going around, but we thought we'd get Declan Carey on to maybe discuss the actual picture with Cork City at the moment. Declan Carey, Cork City chairman, how are you keeping? Very good, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. It's, it's obviously a big week for the club. Back in Europe, had a, a succession of years now where you're obviously expecting to be involved in Europe. Um, what's the expectation? There seemed to be a good buzz down at Turner's Cross Friday night. Obviously not a huge crowd, but the, the fans very much behind the team. Yeah, definitely, Johnny. Look, uh, yeah, th- as you said, there wasn't a massive crowd by any means, but you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't know that if you walked down uh, Coral Road outside the stadium, um, to- especially towards the second half of the game there. The, uh, the atmosphere was electric, and look, we're hoping to have a similar performance from the, the crowd and the team on Thursday night and hopefully get a positive result in, in Europe. Yeah, um, you know, you can't beat European nights in, in Turner's Cross. Um, the atmosphere will just be unbelievable there, so... Yeah, hopefully now the people of Cork will come out and get behind the lads and, uh, yeah, as I said, positive result then that we can take over to Luxembourg. Yeah, but Declan, we just wanted to speak to you. I mean, obviously there's a few things going on around Cork at the moment um, and without getting necessarily bogged down in, in, in who said what and some of the, I suppose, inaccurate speculation that has surrounded the club in recent times, there has, a, I mean, the club felt compelled to release a statement last week to address some comments that have been made about the, the club's finances and, and the picture this year. So I, I guess we're almost just looking to, 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 to outline what the situation is at the moment. I mean, where do things stand with Cork City as we are now uh, midway through 2019 in terms of the health of the club, the, the direction of the club and, and, and how you feel things are set now going forward? Yeah, look, Dan, to be honest, we had a um, we had a difficult couple of weeks there in uh, from kind of May to June. Uh, 
we didn't have a, a home league game there for uh, for six weeks. Um, it was a uh, you know, obviously a difficult time for us from a cash flow perspective. But look, it's it's nothing that we haven't seen before, even even maybe twelve months prior or in previous seasons. Um, and I think maybe that might have been blown out of proportion. I don't know where this kind of speculation and incorrect information came from. Um, we gave a very firm update to our members at a general meeting at the end of May where we gave exact figures. You know, we gave the the current health of the club, as you said there. We gave a, a 6, 12 and 18 month outlook. Um, everything was, uh, you know, the, our members were very satisfied with the update that they got. And, they, you know, we felt that we had their trust that we could take the club on in the next, uh, you know, foreseeable future and obviously going into next season as well. Um, and, yeah, look, the... the as I said, did have a recent difficult time, Look, to be honest. As I said, every League of Ireland club would feel similar. I think Sligo Rovers even released a statement there as well during the break about their uh, their lack of home games and the fixture issues that they experienced. But um, yeah, look, we're in, a, we're in a good place, to be honest, Dan and, and Johnny. You know, we've uh, thriving merchandise in commercial areas of the club. Mm. Um, our fundraising as well has also taken off recently with the whole uh, win a gaff um, draw that we've got going on down in Cork now as well, which is a first for a... Uh, uh, in Cork in general and obviously for a League of Ireland club as well I know they're they're quite popular up the country as well but look yeah we're uh, we're, in a, we're in a good place and I think all the board are very happy and positive with the way things are going at the moment With all due respect though you, you, you referenced Liger Rovers there who obviously haven't been in Europe in some time and um, where like where has the money gone from Cork City because of your European exploits maybe you're not making as much money from these European games as people think I know you have a big squad but it just seems a surprise that you could be in any difficulty at all really considering the years you've had Yeah look it, 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 I, I guess it is, um, you know, as you you mentioned there, Johnny, the uh, you know the European prize money. People just see a, a figure that's flashed up based on what UEFA release in terms of prize money, and people think that's automatically lodged into the club's bank account. Obviously, there's, you know, significant expense in travelling around to these countries, and you know, um, unfortunately, the look we did draw two massive teams last year in Legia Warsaw and Rosenborg, but unfortunately, you know, Norway is known to be one of the most expensive countries in Europe as well. But um, yeah, look, in, in in previous years as well. Look, we we invested heavily in the in the first team squad, and look, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, this year things aren't um, aren't as positive as we would have hoped. We're um, you know seventh or eighth in the table at the moment, and look, I know teams above us might have a few games in hand, so there's a bit of leveling out to happen there as well. But look, yeah, it's um, it. it, it I, I, I guess the situation we're in, we're not we're, we're not exactly happy where we are in the league table, but you know, obviously we're we're confident we can turn things around, and you know the um we, we I do think we have the squad of players there and the management team to do so. So yeah, we're uh, we're positive enough. Yeah, I mean, Declan, I think if we were to look over the last decade um, of Irish sport, I would nearly say you know Forest, like the Cork story, is one of the great success stories. I mean, the club was dead, you know, and the club was saved, and. You've you've reached great heights, you know. You've won a yeah. league, uh, you've won a double. Um, I've heard you speak elsewhere today. Um, you know, speaking about it, you still as a seven-figure wage bill at the club. So, I mean, you're, you're running a substantial business there. I mean, yes. as it stands, I just wonder, and and I think you know, this is a difficult debate because you you've got this <laughs> club on a great footing by being a fan-owned club, but. To compete with Dundalk and compete with Shamrock Rovers now, I mean, Shamrock Rovers have a fan-old model, 50%, but they have private investment. Dundalk, as we know, is something very different. Um, yeah. but I, like, Has Forest reached a ceiling in terms of what it can do, in terms of without needing to maybe look at a slight tweak to the model in terms of attracting investment? Or do you believe that the club can still hit the heights that it has in, in recent years by, by continuing as you are at the moment? 
Yeah, look, Dan, I think uh, I don't think we're too far off, to be honest, anyway, in teams in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the finances. Um, I think we, you know, this year we had an extremely competitive budget. Um, obviously, the, the management team opted to go for, you know, a, a larger squad um, and, and thought that would be enough to kind of keep us up there in the, you know, the top three positions and, and duking it out with uh, with Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk. Um, but look, yeah, it, it, I know you kind of mentioned there, did we reach a ceiling? But, you know, this year... Um, we increased our merchandise targets, our commercial mm. targets, and our fundraising. This was kind of an, a, a significant jump over last year. You know, merchandise 30% commercial, around 45%, and 100% on fundraising. And we're well on target to reach that. And we think with the recent additions we've got in the off the field staff, obviously, Paul Witcherly now has just entered his second year with the club. Um, Paul DC was added to the commercial sector as well, and he's got vast experience in in sponsorship and and the whole commercial space. So we think there's significant opportunity as well down in Cork. You know, we're uh, we're I guess we're you know the, aside from core Ramblers who would wouldn't have as much of a significant presence in Cork as we would. We mm. think there's significant opportunity for us to capitalise on that, um, increase the you know the brand awareness of the club as well. And you know we do a lot of work in the community around uh, you know the schools in Cork. And look, unfortunately, we don't have trophies this season to to bring to those schools. But when you know I've been to, on some of these visits myself, and when you see the the players going to these schools and the way a classroom of 20, 30 students just light up when they see. Garrod Morrissey or, you know, Gary Buckley walk into the classroom in the Cork City tracksuit, it, it, it gives us all hope that there is, you know, a, a, a greater ceiling that we can we can break through. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. is it a case that almost then, you, you talk about the plan for six months, 12 months, 18 months, that, I don't know, I, not, not using the, because it's still an FEI Cup to fight for, but is there an element yeah. of sort of regrouping, not writing this season off, because there's still stuff that you can achieve, but is there a sense of, you maybe just if this season maybe isn't going to go the way that you that you envisaged it that you maybe just need to get to the end of this season and then I suppose regroup again and, and be stronger at the start of next year. Yeah, look, I'm not going to lay down. That's definitely something where we'll be looking to do, um, and you know we'll be looking to make changes to the club as a whole. From you know looking at all the the, the all of the structures of the club from the budgeting process itself, and you know obviously. Um, it's well known as well that the majority of our um, players are out of contract so I, I I know a lot of the players at the moment will be kind of you know looking to prove themselves as well over the coming weeks and months which we think will be a motivating factor as well um, and look yeah it's definitely look League of Ireland clubs I think it's it's one of the main advantages of this league you can have a, a poor season and then the following year it could be a, a complete paradigm shift you could turn it on its head with just a few key recruitments and, and you know a bit of a change maybe in in the in the back room or whatnot, um, which we've already done this season as well, and and we've seen the, the even the performances of the team improve in, in a short space of time. So look, yeah, uh, at the end of the season for any League of Ireland club, I think is an opportunity to regroup and 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 just look at the way things are working and where we can make improvements. And look, the the guys we have on the board at the moment are highly skilled in those areas. They've, you know, we've got entrepreneurs on the board and guys that have managed large projects and. Um, you know, we'd always look at lessons learned and, and where we can, you know, obviously cut back, make savings and where we have opportunities as well, as I said, to increase revenues in certain areas. So, look, we'll, uh, you know, we'll definitely reassess. It's uh, it, It'll be an opportunity for us, um, you know, as a board to get together and work with the club staff of where we want to go. And we do have um, plans even over the next month or two to get together and have a, a full kind of away day amongst ourselves as a board. Okay. and. And, and and just kind of, you know, nail down what our strategy will be um, and, and kind of go from there, really. Yeah, because I think one of the quirks is, and it, I mean, it's important to point out that, you know, the current board inherited, I suppose, a budget plan 
from a previous board. Yeah. And that was something that happened. Now, at the same time, I'm looking at the structure of the club there and think, is, does that need to be looked at where you have a situation where you have an election two months after a budget is devised? I mean, that that was always going to lead to potential problems. I mean, is that something that needs to be looked at in, so, yeah. in future years that the election takes place before a budget and strategy is drawn up? Because it has seemed to have created a bit of confusion maybe about direction and decision making or maybe attributing decisions. Yeah, look, uh, that's definitely something we 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 took note of. Um, look, unfortunately, look as everyone knows, Pat Shine uh, was a board member last year as well, and he sadly passed away. So his seat was also available there in the recent AGM. So, look, it, there would have only been maybe four members then that would have been new to the board at that stage. Um, also, we had a board member, Mike Durham, step away there um, in April for for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. So, look, and then there was myself. Obviously, I was on the board last year as well, elected in January 2018. So look, it was definitely, um, you know, <laughs> very unfortunate the way we had so many board members all at once. You know, in some ways, you could look at it as a positive, you know, brand new ideas coming in. But obviously, we always had that continuity between boards when they were transitioning from one to the other. And in this case, you know, we did have five new members and then we co-opted a new board member there as well in May, Dave Alton. Um, so look, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely something we're, we're looking at Um Obviously, you know, the, the the way the AGM is structured, I think it has to take place within a certain time frame of the end of the financial mm-hmm. year. Um, so we're, I think we're limited there. I think I even tried to raise this with a, our, our legal advisor last year about, you know, potentially having the uh, the election in September when we would typically have a general meeting. But unfortunately, it's not possible due to the legalities of how the, the trust is set up mm-hmm. and um, the, the, the cooperative model that we have. But look, definitely, I think there's still things we can do to, to fix that. Like you could have, you know, formal handover processes from, from one board to another and, you know, try to maintain that uh, that continuity in other ways. So we're, it's definitely something we're looking at, Daniel. Just, just finally, uh, you'll, you'll likely be playing Rangers if you get through the game against Progress. How important is it that you might get through and all the kind of money that that would entail in terms of the future of Cork City over the next few years? Yeah, Johnny. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, no, we're never going to turn down that kind of money that that tie would attract. Like Rangers, you know, almost guarantee full sell out of Turner's Cross. Um, you know, the, obviously the additional 260k that would uh, would come from getting through the round of Europe. Um, but look, yeah, it's a, it's something we would never budget for um, prospective money anyway. Like that, we always mm. only include guaranteed prize money in our budget. And look, if come November. We know that there's an additional 260k coming into the club's uh, coffers from UEFA prize money. That certainly strengthens us going into 2020. I'm not going to lie. Um, and beyond, we'll uh, we'll obviously plan to be prudent with with any additional funds that come in. Like even we've got, as I mentioned, this win a gaff fundraiser, which could you know bring significant funds into the club as well. And you know that's definitely uh, something we look at um, as we look at it, you know put safeguards in place obviously and 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 try and put put money away for that rainy day as you say i know it's an old cliche but it's definitely something the current board are fully committed on on doing as well thanks very much for your time and very best of luck on thursday yeah cheers johnny thanks thanks Dan. Thanks, thanks very much i don't know that the, the cork fair play detective coming on there i i find their situation i think they've been a bit profligate in in terms of not the club but they haven't managed the situation that well. You're, you're at the game. I was at the game Friday night. They're a million miles off challenging all of a sudden. And they're a team that they're probably somewhat fortunate that the two teams down at the bottom have been cut adrift so much because they're 
they're not they're a team that could actually get into relegation trouble. And Marco Sullivan coming back got a good reception from the crowd. He's thirty six years of age, did well when he came on and all that, but I don't know how Cork City have got to this. That to me was a that's a get to the end of the season type of it ties in with what they're doing. I think they are Declan alluded to it, but I think there's an element to just get through this season and, and regroup and like I'm not, I'm not casting doubt. I know I asked the question about. It. I'm not trying to cast doubt on the the forest model at all. I mean, it's been fantastic in terms of how it worked, and I think there's a natural wariness there about, um, you know, ceding any control because it's very important for them to have the control, and they they've done a good job, but they've lost their way a bit. Certainly, like John Caulfield is both the best manager the Cork have had. Yet he's also someone that had made mistakes in recent seasons. The two sentences aren't like you can say both of those things, and you can, and they can both be right. And there's no doubt that uh, between the budget he was given and the decision to spend all of that budget on players, and then the how money was apportioned in terms of quantity over quality in terms of the squad and clearly maybe he couldn't get the quality that he wanted in terms of maybe maybe they couldn't attract two or three top players, but. The, the solution to that was almost to fill the squad with just options and numbers and mm. without it really seeming to be part of a plan, you know, to, well, we identify this position, we need to sort out this position. It was more sort of... Scattergold. Like, you know, that show uh, Supermarket Sweep years ago with Dale Winton presenting that and you got like Lashed a minute yeah. and you just run through and then you end up with like Graham crackers, Cummins. beans and you've got six packets of crisps and like don't even need them mm. and you've no bread, you know? And there's, there's, this has been all over the shop, right? <laughs> and I think that that's... That's been a problem that they've had. The other thing and about them, apart from when Sean Maguire has been playing, they've been pretty poor in Europe. Like, take out Sean Maguire, which we have to... Remember when they went out to the Icelandic team when Marco Sullivan, I think, No, they, they, the Europe wasn't great. Uh, but, they were rubbish But, but, but I guess what I'm saying is that, like, it's a great structure, the fan-owned structure, but it's a volunteer structure to a degree mm. as well. And just just clearly they need to take stock. And that's the, I think that this board that's there now, and I know there's been some criticism of them too, and um, maybe we didn't ask all the questions that everyone would want asked. Um, but it just seems like they need to just regroup and, and gather, this, gather themselves up because that club has got such immense potential. Like it has, it, it has the potential to be the best club in the country. And it's, it's lost its way over... A, a, seemingly in a remarkably quick period of time and clearly when they won the double they just weren't equipped at the time to I don't know respond to that I don't know I don't know what you meant of that Mark is listening to the situation at Cork like they're um, fourth last in the table there now just under <laughs> Sligo or overs we'll say well you could say that they're what seven positions off top is yeah, it? they're seventh. <laughs> they're seventh. They're they're like they're thirty points behind Dundalk. Um, I think you said earlier on that they what had twenty nine players in their squad. Uh, at one point earlier this year, I think they had twenty nine players in their squad. So at, at any given game day, you can only play fourteen. Yeah, you know, and that's that's taking your squad of eighteen sub keepers and very rarely ever going to be used. Um, played very well against Preston, seemingly Ty Grind the other night, yeah. very very yeah. well. Yeah, former cool. United. Yeah, um, but they haven't brought in young players either. No, no, but that's what the the problem is. Like you look at Shamrock Rovers, for example, and they have, I suppose, they've got a really strong squad of sixteen mm. very good players, and then they have young lads that they're trying to blood in. You know, I would have thought that that's, you know, with the catchment that Cork have down there, they've literally the whole of Munster to pick from because there's no other football team really. Waterford, yeah, but, you know, you're... you're I, I, I don't... It's literally a capitulation. It is. Mm. You know, like it it's, is. Yeah. It's, it's mental. Like, yeah, um, I, it's, it's, it seems incredible that, they, they, you know, they, they got into the Champions League and they, they played off pretty much 
the the bulk of that price or that prize fund hike into a playing squad, but then just recruited really badly. And then naturally they probably had to cut back from that. But then you have this line, well, you know, there's been cuts this year and that's why they've struggled. But, but they struggled because they read bad signings last year. The one as well, had you know, for, in 2018. Like, um, he was kind of irreplaceable, Sean McGuire. Well, it's, yeah. We see now there's an unbelievable dearth of strikers. I know Bowes are definitely looking to strengthen can't really find anyone. Um, if, there was look, a, if there was a top-class striker available, Shamrock Rovers would sign him. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So Ro- Rovers going for Cummins. Who or the dog would just sign him so Rovers couldn't get him. Get, you know, get, even though they have the best, get you know, arguably the best two in the, in the league yeah, already. You were you know? working at the game. Um, Cummins going to Rovers. I, I, I have to say, I did not see that coming. Um, but apparently played quite well on Friday night without scoring. He just, uh, he's had very little game time down at Cork and it showed because whatever about the header off the crossbar, that can happen. Um, as it was coming across, the McGinty was going across, so he tried to angle it back the opposite way and he hit the crossbar. But um, he had two chances where he picked up great positions and he was lethargic looking and slow and you know, like he, he got the chance and got a shot away, but the keeper was lightning off the line. But I would have expected Graham Cummins of what I have seen over years would have like touched score. Mm. Um, it looks like they're trying to emulate what Dundalk have in Pat Hoban um, because they do use their wingers a lot. Um, their fullbacks were raiding all night. You know, look, I can't compare it to to a normal game because, you know, Sligo literally just parked the bus second half I especially. Think, uh, I think Rovers had, twi- Shamrock Rovers had 24, 24 shots off shots. target. Off target. Well, there you go. If, if that, that, that was the, now, the, the, like, I, I do think Dan Rovers are going into the game against Bran. I, I checked the odds earlier. They're 8-1 to one to win the away game. They're 3-1 to one to qualify. I think this will be very close. Bran are, doing bang average in the league Rovers some of the football they've been playing as Alan Cawley was saying during the week their last three games have been the better team but they've only won what they've four they've points they've taken four them. points no I think Rovers like it's, it's stating the obvious they've got what has held our teams back in sometimes in Europe the, the stereotypical view would be ball retention but they've got really good midfield players who can keep the ball I'd be interested to see how he sets up the midfield in Europe will he just do it as he's done in the league uh, you know, in terms of, I'm not sure about the story of Aaron McIniff actually. If he's if he's still a bit away, I think he's but, still out. Yeah, but like they've got Bulger, they've got Jack Byrne, they've got Dylan Watts. They've an array of options. I mean, Gary what, O'Neill, Gary O'Neill, of course. Yeah, what I mean, what do you make of their their midfield strength, Mark? And you know, like I suppose if you look at it, to me, they've probably got the strongest midfield in the league. Um, it was my first time to see Jack Byrne play, and I don't think I've seen a player in the league with better close control. Um, uses his body very well. He he was very impressive and made them tick all night. And you didn't even mention Ronan Finn. Of course, you, know, I keep, so, you keep forgetting yeah, one every time you mention. Yeah, yeah. it's um, they've they've got a lot of options, and you can see that when the packet Bulger is as lean as I've seen him look, and Bradley has said that he's back to his best, and he he was excellent again the other night. Um, yeah, but but scoring goals is going to be a problem. Mm, but they played so well over in Sweden last year. It was some mm. different personnel. Aaron Green hit the post. Yeah, and so I think they're comfortable to go away. And, and get a result and bring it back and ironically it's actually then if they get into a position in yeah. Tala uh, can they press it home from I, there? I think there'll be a situation this game where Bran haven't had the ball for a while and the fans are thinking what's going on here we were like hot favourites this game I, I really think Rovers will give these a no, right I can game see, I can see the argument um, because for they're just not doing the, and like Rosenberg I think are struggling this year but Bran are struggling as well yeah. I'm not sure they're, like when they Rovers, don't have a mad European pedigree they haven't mm. played a huge amount of games this and level, Rovers, are, still Rovers are, are a very strong Strong Europa League side for us. Yeah, that, like, uh, do you know? Do you know what I mean? But at so the same time, you, I mean, you still have to be 
not to be negative because like I think you have to be very confident about the quality of players Rovers have but they I mean, have to score Brand are still going to be playing a higher standard of game on a, on a weekly basis yeah. so like it, it, it's hard to know I mean we, we like with the games this week I mean we've got like we've got some pats against IFK Norcopping um, which is at home on Thursday and it's also live on air somehow I mean, air are fitting the two games it's hard in, back to back um, it's, 6 it, o'clock it, it's, it's hard to be it's hard to be confident about Pats uh, on their form uh, but actually I mean, we've done well against Swedish teams very well and again in n- recent n- years. N- n- and Pats have good midfield players who can who can retain the ball as well Like and that's we've got to speak about one of them Connor Clifford Goal, hell of a goal on Friday night. You'd have been proud of that now. The, the lad the lad could have eaten the rest of his chips because it went into the top <laughs> corner. What an absolute scream. You'd do well to find someone with chips behind the goals yeah, of the RSC. I think there's actually a McDonald's around four kilometres up um, the road. In fairness to, to Pats, mm. to, despite all of this, Pats have now gone into the top four again um, by virtue yeah, of Derry having like, a couple of games. Their goal like. difference is minus one. I think it's in, like for a team that's four to like... Jeez, they, I mean, Dan, where are they going to get goals They've from? actually like, been low-scoring games all Fourth year. best defence and fourth worst attack. But yeah. like between Mikey Drennan and then Gary Shaw when he's been playing um, I'd say they have about five goals between them I, yeah. I'm, I'm speculating there but well, Richmond yeah Richmond on European nights can be can be actually a great venue mm. like I mean Pats I mean Pats Elfsborg actually back was one of my favourite League of Ireland great games night. in Europe uh, and I know that the standing room is closed but it just it can really get tight it can be a tight venue Mark you know what it can be like uh, probably more so I know you had a brief spell there but it's more on the opposing side oh yeah it's, it's one of the best to play in especially when it's packed um because it is right on top of you. You mm. know, when you go to, say, Waterford and it seems like the, the, the stand is a mile away from mm. you, yeah. it can more or less bring down the atmosphere. But Richmond's, Richmond on a on a packed night is as good as any of them. Have you seen much of them this year? No, Pats, yeah. no, no very li- I Obviously, I played with Chris Forrester, so I know what he's he's Capable about. Of. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I've seen Connor Clifford play. You know, he's huge pedigree as a footballer. Um, Chris was on the bench on uh, against Waterford. I, I, I suspect he may not start <laughs> yeah, this game, but I mean, they have plenty of midfielders. It's funny, though, it's... A, You'd have no fear about whatever about maybe he just hasn't been in the best place and it hasn't been a great year for him. But you'd have no fear about throwing him into the game. You know, to that type of fixture, it could actually shoot him down to the could ground. It could sort of enliven yeah, him. Like, you know, great. it would be fantastic if it did. I mean, yeah. Pats like Pats have a really good record in European matches at Richmond Park. Mm. Like, and I think sometimes it is the venue behind the row of houses just like throws people. I remember that crowd, Krilia Savatov back in the day. I remember they come in, we saw them before the game and that someone had obviously gone down to the Guinness factory and bought a load of cans of Guinness. <laughs> and we saw them bringing in the, these these cans of Guinness before the game. You're thinking, I'm not sure if they're fully focused on uh, the, on the match the, here. The, they, 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 the they, beat them, they beat them 1-0 at home and yeah. then it was actually 3-2 away. Yeah. Was it was that Fabio, the game where Fabio it? got the two goals yeah. late and they went through? Because it was Samantha and so I was in Samara. They were actually bringing booze onto their. Well, they were. I don't think they were going to have it before the match. Yeah, it was obviously for for, after. for afterwards. But um, I think they like they've like Pat's. It could be one of these nights, the home match, where they get something going. Doing the job over two legs, it's probably hard to be. They've got to get a result on Thursday. And then Cork, we, 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 we had that can carry on, but I mean, Cork progress, neither Cork. I mean, it just has like, to be pointed out the progress, uh, pardon the pun, that Luxembourg teams have made. I saw Cork are, Cork were odds on favourites for this game. That They will not go off odds on well, favourites. Well, progress, um, like, like the Luxembourg team has done really well in recent years. Mm. Even, I'm thinking, you mentioned Junis Esch there. But they even, were decent. But they even since decent. then, the, the like, Doodle Lange meant the groups last year. And the progress did also get by Cardiff Met. From who were like part-time team in Wales in pre-season on away, goals. on away goals. So like, let's not, 
you know, build them up into being superstars. I here. think Cork if Cork the game on Friday, I think their tails were up a bit. They, they came off the pitch like buzzing that, that there was good for two clean sheets in a row, which shouldn't be underestimated. I don't think they're in a, in a terribly bad way in terms of their mentality, but goals. If they, if they play, if they have their midfield, particularly if they have Morrissey and Buckley, if their midfielders, mm. Conor McCormick, if their midfielders are all available and at it, they are capable of beating this crowd over two legs Definitely, if they're yeah. at their best. But, it, it, I mean, it's, you just can't be confident about it. But at the same time, the players know there's Rangers on the other side mm. to get through. Like, that is a... You can imagine, Mark, being in that dressing room, that group. You've had a bad season. You're seventh in the league. Every league match must be a bit of a... But this maybe maybe a fresh challenge and a fresh focus might just be the thing. That That's it, yeah. Like you know, we've spoke about it before already. Gone the amount of players there that have won leagues and won, you know, won cups in recent years, and and they've just. I'm not saying that they've down tools, but it's like from the outside looking in, you're there. Gone. It's it's a travesty what's happened to them. You would have expected them to be pushing Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk and they're pushing Finn Harps, um, mm. unfortunately. So. You know, I, I hope they can get it together because for these uh, regionalised teams, I think they need to have, you know, a good Sligo team, good Cork teams that are football in towns that will come in their thousands to support mm. a team that, I'm not saying they're going to be successful, but they're going to give their all and challenge um, challenge these teams. And, and for whatever reason, they're just not. Mm. They all have a chance. Um, likely one or two of them will get through. Yeah, I, I one or two. I'd be delighted with one or two. I mean, that's and again, that's not being negative. I think well, one would be a bit disappointing. Just one would be disappointing, but it's 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 a like it's it's a realistic scenario to a degree. Like, oh, absolutely. You, when you look at it, that there's two are seated and two are unseated. So I'd be um, wary of Regan now. I think. Oh, I think yeah. Just like, Dundalk. I'm not. I'm not sure they're, they're, they've really hit form yet. As that might sound daft. But I, yeah, I think um, they've got another gear in them. Yeah, I think that's the they'll have prepared. I, 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 I think I really being away, being away second isn't yeah, isn't actually a problem. No, okay. no, no, I don't think it's a problem for them at all. I mean, okay. you think of Iceland that time, you know, Legia Warsaw. Would, I, I actually don't think being away second is necessarily. Right. A wrench because because they're a team that has an away goal in them. It's just if they're disciplined, and it's interesting. We had Edmonds on earlier to discuss the style of the Riga team, and if they come and they are defensive, uh, I don't, you know, uh, it'll suit did, them. Though. Yeah, yeah. Did, like, suit and them. they are. A they need to score. I think if yeah. I'm Riga, I'm thinking they have to score. They have to score to go through because yeah. if they don't score in Ireland, like. I, I think the dog will win the tie. But, I, I, uh, yeah. I'd be wary of Cork. Just I don't. I don't think. Well, anyone could tell you that Cork obviously aren't playing that well. For some reason, I think Pats will give this a good go, and I really fancy Rovers to to be banged there. Um, what do you think, Mark? How many uh, of them will get through? Um, after speaking to the reporter there from Latvia, I think Dundalk will win. Uh, especially if the setup shop like he didn't, that. He didn't. That wasn't his intention. Now, yeah. No, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd yeah. be looking at it. The, the way that they play, you know, they to move the ball so quickly. They're used to that pitch. I'm not saying you know. I don't know what kind of pitch they play over mm. in, in Riga, but um, it suits them because they play on it all the time. Yeah. Um, from from listening to that, I'd, I'd expect Undock to win. Both um, legs. Yeah, we'll hopefully best of luck to all the clubs. Um, just to run through the results from the weekend, remarkable stuff up at Brandywell, Derry City two, Dundalk two. But Shamrock Rovers, despite having three hundred and eighty percent possession, <laughs> couldn't <laughs> do the job against Sligo Rovers. I had a couple of mates at the game; they couldn't believe that Sligo actually had thirty percent possession in the game. In the stats afterwards, I'd say that was the keeper yeah. holding <laughs> yeah. onto the ball. <laughs> to were, be honest, I I think. Um, 
my my mate said he'd never seen a, a team dominate as much in the second half without scoring. UCD won Finn Harps nil. What a massive result there. Um, Watford United won. Sorry, Watford won St. Pat's 2 and Cork nil. Bowes nil. Premier Division fixture. This, on Friday, we've got Derry City UCD. This is... This, uh, uh, that's the only game this Friday and then on Saturday we've got Sligo Rovers Waterford which is live on air I believe as well so uh, um, is Coleman is still in charge of them uh, he is John yeah, Coleman yeah, yeah. Seamus Keneally yeah, yeah. Seamus Keneally I, I got an award with him one night it was one of the most stupid nights of my life basically because I went to the, a tech school the VEC they give out these awards Seamus Keneally got an award for like you know becoming a proper professional footballer he was playing England at the time I got an award for basically becoming a journalist that was it. Like I, I'd achieved nothing, but they were so light on people to he, give. Was he in the them. same school as you? No, he just went to a Galway VEC, like so a tech school in Galway. So there were these awards given out for lads who actually did achieve something, and I got it just because I actually completed my college course and became a journalist. Like so, are you the first one ever out of Galway? Or? Uh, possibly, <laughs> yeah, possibly. But uh, I remember asking Seamus Keneally at the time what he made of um, Sean Connor because he brought him to Galway United, and we, we, we had a good chat. He had a great career. He's had a great shame. He's had a great career. And Sean Connor, Sunday. Mark. Ro- you, meant, you said Sean Connor there, and Mark Roster just sat back in his chair. <laughs> well, he brought me to bowls. Yeah, so, I was just yeah. going to say he, he was. He, he had a remarkable ability to sign good players. I have to give it to him. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, no. <laughs> even at Galway United, the players he brought in. We can't move on to Sean Connor yeah. this long into the podcast. We're just going to have to return. We have to get Mark back Might again. Get him on next week, Sean Connor. <laughs> at Lone Tree, he needs his own show. <laughs> Speaking of Sean Connor, by the way, obviously the club uh, most relevant to him now, Limerick, three-one at home to Longford. Uh, Limerick season is just gets more insane really by the week, and uh, Longford down to third as well. They're actually seven points off shells now, and Braydan down to sixth. 15 mm. points off the top having lost to Cabin Teeley that's a result that Gary Cronin Gary Cronin will be worried because they're now 7 points off 4th yeah. uh, i got to give it to Drogheda as well Tim Clancy um, you would know obviously Mark the budget they have they shouldn't be seconds um, Tim is a class man so the players will play for him mm. and he doesn't uh, he doesn't put up with trivial Shite, Shite, let's yeah. say. Um, um, they've had major injuries this season. Well, Adam Wicks did one of their major signings, barely played if he's played at all. Um, at Lone 3, Wexford run, Cabin TD 2, Drogheda 4, Cove 2, uh, Goy United 0, Shelburne 3, uh, Shelburne consolidating. Just got, got to mention uh, Goy United striker of, um, who's been one of the shining lights this season. Shane Doherty just left the club today because his dad is very unwell in, in the US. Uh, he's been really, really good for going United. Just want to wish him the best and um, going back to spend time with his family. And anyway, anyway, that all means Shelburne are seven points clear, Dan. It looks like yeah. that for the two predictable maybe. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. This Friday they've got Cabin Teddy at home. I think they lost that fixture the first time in Talca. Mm. Uh, Bray Limerick on Friday. Wexford Galway on Friday then Saturday Cove Ramblers at loan Longford Town Drada. of course Big in the game. cup Shell's got bows in the cup which is the highlight of the FEI cup draw yeah um, going to be sharing grounds in the near future well this is it yeah um, whether they want to or not from the mm. perspective of Shell's but yeah a bows Shell's match in Daily Mount is like a window a window to the future mm. Mm. Uh, be interesting because mm. in fairness Shell's will go into that game thinking that they can win they've, oh, they, yeah, they, they've got they've got the squad to it's obviously playing the Premier League. And, and serious problem. insider knowledge as well from yeah, yeah. between Ian Morris and yeah. all the lads who they've signed. From, Absolutely. From, from Bose. One, point, one point on Bose. Is, is there a Bose team that plays Rovers and a Bose team that plays every other week? Because I've seen a lot of them this season and I can't really recognise the two teams. The, the one on Friday night, 
Like, I d- they're just a strange team. They were so poor on Friday night, Bows, I thought. Like, they, they offered very little. Um, and then they play Rovers and they just keep beating. Yeah, but I see, like, their plan when they've played Rovers has been brilliant. You know, they've, they've set up against, I think, well against Rovers to exploit their mistakes and to, you know, mm. they, they're, they're very clever in terms of how they approach the games. Maybe we're expecting more of them now and we're yeah. expecting them to, Mandrew was poor to on take Friday control. Night, for but they, they were still missing eight players on the Monday. And I just think that the congestion of the fixtures is hurting them more than most. I don't know. I mean, mm. yeah, it's maybe it's affected the level of their performance. But I think that they'll, whether they want it or not, there's a small chance to recharge the batteries now with, with Europe and stuff. And I think I've still seen Bowes play once or twice at home this year where they've been where they've been decent. Mm. Um, it's a it's a great time of year though with the European games coming up. Just and to have three games televised. I remember when there were practically no games on TV. You can see three of the teams in Europe, and you just can't see Cork because they're on the same time or whatever. But mm. uh, looking forward to it, Mark. Yeah, it'd be deadly. Um, look, at I hope they all go through. I really do. Um, the fact that they're showing all the games as well this week is it's you're just hoping that they put on a good spectacle mm. so that all the bar stoolers as we call them will actually take note and go. Well, actually, it is a decent. Did you ever you see know? any teams going through the airport? Actually, I'm trying to think. Have you ever bumped into any ex teammates? Uh, what was that? Do you know the the one I seen um, when Bray was it Bray Harry Kenny was at. They yeah. went over and they were playing over in Scotland. Oh, they were at the Iron Brew Cup. Yeah, yeah. He, he turned around and I was chatting to him and Liam O'Brien and he was there going, he said, are you still playing? And I just went, no. He said, do you want to? And I just <laughs> went, no. <laughs> so that was it, yeah. Um, that, that's back? when you knew Bray were going to lose that yeah. tie. <laughs> yeah, it's normally, it's normally on the Saturday morning after the Friday night when they do the break. You do see it's literally like a League of Ireland terminal. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, yeah. all, they're all flying out. Taking somewhere. whiskey as opposed to gin, I hope. Uh, like, you no, know. I'd say they're probably sitting in the Slaney bar probably drinking pints uh, <laughs> half six in the morning. Morning, but uh, fair, fair, like fair play as well. Leash hurlers, they went on the tear after beating Westmead for a couple of days, played Dublin on the Sunday, and somehow beat them and went on the tear again afterwards. Like this whole nonsense of not having a point after the game, absolutely. Um, will you come back into the game? What's your yeah, maybe we'll see. Um, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll bit of a straight shooter now. You got a good qualities for a coach there, taking no nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have uh, I don't have patience at the best of times, so um. Nah, look, at I'll, I'll wait and see. To be honest, you know, when I was doing it for Northwest Radio, going and commentating on the games, I like I like mm. that side of it. It's nice to go and watch a game and be neutral. Uh, just have, a, I suppose, an interest in it. What's the, the your tip on uh, a dark horse in terms of whiskey to drink? Something mm. that we... If you're it's a, the whiskey connoisseur... Powers Morris, John's Lane. Powers John's Lane. Yeah. There, you go. there we are. Do you, do you like the old whiskey, Dan? I'd be, I'd be partial. My brother would, but my brother mm. would know his stuff. I'd be bluffing if I tried to get into a debate, but uh, I'll, I'll take that recommendation on board. Mm. Bluffing if trying to get into debates uh, rather defines our careers. Thanks very much for listening to episode 22, season three. Thanks a million for coming in, Mark. Thanks for having me. Top Mark, man. Thanks. And very best of luck to the four clubs over the next week. But there are